0: Black lady, black lady adulting. I got bills, I got school, I got, I got a do. got a husband with no kids. Every night we work on it. Black lady, black lady adulting. The most disrespected person in America is the black woman. The most unprotected person in America is the black woman. The most neglected person in America is the black woman. Malcolm X. Hello, friends. Welcome to Black Lady Adulting, a podcast brought to you by yours truly, Joquina Stone. Today, we are here to talk about mental health and wellness, specifically as it relates to the Black community. This topic is of special interest to me. Uh, currently, I'm working on my PhD, and I recently decided to focus my dissertation research on mental health and wellness of Black women doctoral students. And although my research focuses on Black doctoral women, the mental health and wellness of the Black community as a whole is critical to understand and to um, shed light on. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, Black Americans are 20% more likely to experience serious mental health challenges compared to the larger general population. So since I am by no means an expert on mental health wellness and All that jazz, I brought along a colleague to discuss mental health and wellness, Dr. Megan O'Reilly. I am really excited to have her as a guest on the show. And before we jump in, I just want to read a little bit about her bio because she's a big deal, y'all. So, Dr. Megan is a staff psychologist at Stanford University's Counseling and Psychological Services and lecturer in the Stanford School of Medicine. Dr. O'Reilly created the first satellite clinic at Stanford for Black undergraduate and graduate students, which increased the access for Black students to receive immediate and ongoing counseling. We love to see it because we we just love to see it. That's very important. Um, outside of Stanford, Dr. Megan is the co-founder and CEO of Inherent Value Psychology Incorporated, her private practice in DEI Corporation that provides international DEI speaking engagements and consultation. The mission of IVP is to redefine productivity as liberating the unconditional self. And lastly, she did a TEDx talk, which I didn't know until I, until I read this bio, but she did a TEDx talk in 2018 to remind us that our lives matter to the world. Her TEDx talk, Enough is Enough, The Power of Your Inherent Value, can be seen on YouTube, so please look it up. Her research focuses on social justice and areas of clinical expertise include college student mental health, higher high achiever stress, perfectionism, and trauma. Welcome, Dr. Megan O'Reilly. Thank you so much for being here with me today. It is a joy to be here. My pleasure. Thank you, Joquina. You're very welcome. So we're going to dive in. Oh, wait, before we dive in, um, can you tell folks where they can find you, like on social media?
1: Yes. Definitely. I'm on all the platforms, even though I'm an old soul. So Instagram at Meg underscore PhD, which is the same for Facebook and Twitter. And then um, I also have a LinkedIn, which is my full name. So get those that get the dash and the G. So it's M-E-A-G dash G-A-N.
0: Cool bean. So check her out, y'all. Check her out. She does amazing work. So now we're going to jump in. Um, Today, we're talking about Black Mental Health and Wellness. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is because one of the things um, that you've said in the past that really stands out to me is if anyone needs therapy is Black people.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I love that because I think that it's, it's accurate. And I don't always think that, you know, as a community, we think about our mental health. And so can you share more about why you feel like if anybody needs therapy is Black folks?
1: Yes, and I stand by it. But thank you for the question because it does need a little bit elaboration. It could fall on people's ears as uh, stigma. There's still a lot of stigma in the Black community. So people could hear this as there's something wrong with Black folks or Black folks are weak. That's actually not what I'm saying. It's actually the opposite is what I'm saying. I'm saying that Black people are so resilient and so strong and that too often we go through things that require support on our own. So... Um, Let me not be light about this, right now we're still shouldering a continual omnipresent pandemic that is giving us unprecedented grief and loss, watching our family and family members and friends kind of systematically die from COVID, whilst enduring constant trauma and lack of justice in this current racial awakening, which is not our first, we're all exhausted, So while this is going on, we're still trying to attend class, we're working, we're raising families, and trying to stay health and safety ourselves. So it's far too much grief and trauma that for anyone to be going through on their own. I think these things would greatly impact anyone's mental health. And I think those people that need it right now are us because we're going through this double pandemic. I think therapy at its most elemental level is just carving out one protected hour for yourself a week and we ought to give ourselves at least that much
0: yes yes thank you so you said you said a lot with that and there's a couple of couple of things i want to touch on um hmm. so i i didn't want to jump into the heavy stuff right away mm-hmm. but why not um
1: mm-hmm. so
0: is. you talked about you know some of the systemic issues in america that that really impact Black folks in a way that make us uniquely positioned to need therapy. So one of the things that I keep thinking about um, is you know, the police brutality, the anti-Blackness that's mm-hmm. very prevalent in America right now, which for a while, I mean, it's, it's always been prevalent. Maybe it's been dormant at times, but it's always existed. Mm-hmm. And um, even though I do wanna focus this episode on the Black community as a whole, um, there was a certain pain that I felt when, when I learned that Breonna Taylor's murderers would not be charged. Yes. Um, and similarly, we learned that, you know, George Floyd's murderers would be charged, which they should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just feels uh, like a double burden for Black women because folks who harm us aren't always held accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, folks who harm us don't sometimes like don't realize they're harming us. And so I feel like black women, we shoulder a, a, a different burden than our black male peers. And Absolutely. so I guess what I'm trying to ask is how do we as black women heal from racial trauma, from gender trauma, from maybe both, from things that may not be related to our identities? Like what are what are some ways we can start the healing process?
1: Mm-hmm you're spot on. There is an additional toll at that intersection, right at that longitude and latitude where our Blackness crosses over with our womanhood. It is a different walk and it is an obscure walk and forgotten walk. I think about the Malcolm quote that unfortunately still rings true to today that basically the Black woman is the most unprotected and forgotten and disrespected person in America. And the lack of justice for Brianna really echoes that. And so the very first thing we need to do is kind of speak truth to power and just own that this is a thing. I think that the gaslighting and the neglect is part of the pain. So the fact that we're angry, the fact that we're grieved, the fact that we're tired, that is real. And actually naming that is, I think, the first step because we're also called to keep being strong and to keep pushing forward and to almost act as if this is not something weighing on us. So step zero would be just to say it is weighing on us and to let those people in our world and community know that by maybe not participating in everything, maybe taking a step back, giving ourselves some time to even just stop some of the spinning and the grieving. After that, I would say step one, what, what I've been doing is really gathering with other Black women Because again, it's almost sometimes that it's only other Black women that can really gravitate and get the depth of that type of despair. And so gathering in community, leaning on our sisters of all ages, I really think there's elders here that can really pour into us, um, is another really healing source. And then after that, after we've taken the time to acknowledge this truth, after we've taken some time to gather and just be seen by our sisters, then I would say there's uh, some other concrete steps we can take, like um, if if we're activists in a certain way, because there's many ways to be activists, get back into that activity, speaking our truth, writing out our narrative, writing out why it hurts us. So engaging in the public space in ways that demand our presence and our truth to be acknowledged.
0: Thank you, yeah, thank you for that. I think that with everything going on, it's really important for us as black women to really think about like, how can we manage it? Because mm-hmm. I think, you know, unfortunately the the strong black woman stereotype sometimes is a burden. Like mm-hmm. it, it causes us to feel like we we can't focus on our mental health because that would mean that we're not strong. And so to, to mm-hmm. say it, to write our feelings and to be in, in community with one another is really important. So thank you for that.
1: May I say something uh, consequential or um that might really rouse people up, which is I don't actually think black women are strong.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I think we have an uncanny ability to rise to the occasion. And I wish there were less occasions for us to rise to. Mm -hmm. That's my truth. Mm -hmm. We have to be strong because we we have to be strong and we're not inherently stronger than anybody, but because of these systems, we've had to keep trudging forward. Um, And that has inadvertently made us strong, but to think that we're just, Brute strength in anybody else actually harms us. We see it in the medical field where doctors literally still today think we can endure more pain. That is not true. And so I really like pushing back on that strength in a complex way that, yes, we do a lot, but I want people to assume that we need help and then step in because we just rise to the occasion when they don't.
0: I appreciate that I appreciate that because yeah I agree we've had we've had to be strong we've had to be resilient because of the systems that we're in mm-hmm. but yeah we're not our makeup doesn't make us stronger um so yes yes mm-hmm. I appreciate that mm-hmm. um there was something else you said that made me think about my mom um <laughs> when you were talking about um like when you say, if, you know, if anybody needs therapy as black folks and you don't mean that in a negative way, there's just this stigma. And so recently I've started to see a therapist um, just because I feel like I need to,
1: mm-hmm. like,
0: why not? And so, um, and I always recommend therapy to other people and I'm like, but I'm not in therapy. And so for a way for me to like normalize therapy, um, my, I told my mom. So she was like, oh, well, what are you doing this weekend? I was like, oh, well, I have my therapy appointment at 9 a.m. And she was like, therapy? Ther- are you okay? Do you need physical therapy? What happened? <laughs> physical. Yep. And I was like, no, it's regular therapy. Uh, I'm fine. I just, you know, feel like I need to go to therapy. And so what are some ways that the Black community can help to normalize like me? And uh, let me backtrack before I ask that question. Because sometimes I think that we, we as like society make it seem like Black people are, like in the Black community, there's a bigger stigma than in other Mm -hmm. communities. I think in general, there's a stigma around therapy. Like white folks call them shrinks. You know, Asian folks feel like, you know, you shouldn't have to talk to anybody. So I don't think that it's unique to the Black community. Um, But because I feel responsible for and to the Black community, I want to know how we, as the Black community, can kind of help to like remove some of that stigma around seeking out therapy or doing things that focus on our mental
1: health. Ah, yes, yes. And I think you're spot on. Everyone has, every c- culture and community has their version of it. For me as a first generation American, my family's from uh, Jamaica, it was don't put our business on the street, uh-huh. you know, and I think the, the other version of that is don't air our dirty laundry, right? So we all come to stigma in many different ways. I think for particularly for black folks right now, there's actually a lot of ways to get connected. Um, COVID has had some silver linings and telehealth is actually one of those. So transportation and time are now lower barriers. Um, I think therapy for black girls, there's also therapy for black men, is has really easy find a therapist searches. So in your area code, but also the APA has lowered the interstate licensing bars. So you can meet with a therapist that's outside of your state in some cases. So we can get good therapy from people of color, even if they're not around, because that's the other Big barrier of, you know, can I meet with a black therapist if there's none in my area? Mm-hmm. But I also want to uplift some uh services like group therapy, uh healing spaces that are up happening right now because of all the injustice. Um, and things that I call therapy adjacent services, so podcasts like us right now, mm-hmm. uh, blogs, anything that really speaks to. Uh, the normalization and the truth of your experience. this usually warms people up to therapy. If you read a good blog about black burnout or about black anger and it really resonates you, that's you getting into your feelings, that's you doing some of the work. And eventually you might find yourself in a healing space that's just talking about racial trauma, then eventually on up into formal therapy. So I say start anywhere, just start getting engaged with what you're feeling and what you're thinking, start showing up in communities, be it online or elsewhere. And before you know it, you might be more encouraged and empowered to talk to that therapist one on one. I like
0: that. I think that. Um, I, so I I joined the healing space, yes. and uh, well, I shouldn't say I joined, but they had a session, and mm-hmm. I like went to it virtually, um, which I appreciated because before COVID, like you said, I couldn't get to these healing spaces. Like they would be after work at like 30 and by 30. I'm not going nowhere but to my home and maybe in my bed um Mm -hmm. and so healing spaces i think were like a new thing for me like i didn't realize like this is you know like that therapy adjacent um so what are some so you said podcasts uh healing circles are there other suggestions you might have for like ways that because i often think about people who don't have access to therapy right Mm -hmm. like they don't it's not covered by their insurance or um, they don't have the money for it, even if it is covered by their insurance. So what are some other ways that people can get some of that healing and not necessarily have to like pay to see a therapist every you know week or every couple of weeks?
1: Yeah, I'll mention one more service that does have a fee and then some more free ones. Uh, BetterHelp right now keeps calling me. They're recruiting Black therapists hard right now, mm-hmm. but BetterHelp is uh, uh, telehealth, phone, and text therapy. Um, there does there is a fee, but it's usually lower than regular therapist rate, especially here in the Bay Area. So you can get a subscription, which might be like ten or so sessions for a total sum that you can pay off. So that's actually one that I recommend because there are therapists of color on that platform and it's always in your pocket. If you have a phone, you have a therapist in a way. So I I do encourage people to look at the different programs and see what they could be able to afford. It's not on any insurance plans or anything like that. It's just fee for service. Outside of that though, I do think we have to get into a mode of championing our own wellness. And so one thing that I, or four things that I like to encourage every person to do is what I call the foundational four. These are things that if you don't have these, uh, like on the bedrock foundation, you're not going to be able to do much else. You could, but it's going to be difficult for your wellness. And those foundational four are resting your body, fueling your body, moving your body, and connecting to somebody. Mm. So let me unpack those. Resting your body is that gold standard eight plus hours of sleep a night. Now for students, I don't know if you're guilty of this, but for students, cutting out sleep or staying up late is the easiest way to make more time in the day to get things done. But really that's stealing from your own reserves. Why stay up late to study when sleep consolidates memory? So everything you're studying isn't going to download the same so do rest and this isn't just you know overnight i also advocate for naps i'm a big minister of naps Um, and also just doing things where your brain is offline so you're not um, working and grinding as hard this could be just going out in nature or um, doing something with your hands doing something artistic so rest is a big one fueling your body this is really just eating three meals a day plus snacks, the healthier the better. But I think sometimes we forget that, um, that we're human organisms, we're not machines. And so we do need fuel to do what we need to do. Secondly, moving your body. Move your body girl. And I specifically didn't say exercise because I think when we go to the MD or our physician, we get told to exercise all the time, Um, especially if we have a little extra weight or all this and it kind of lands on our ears, maybe demanding or judgmental. I like to just say move your body. So it doesn't have to be the running or the the kind of typecast exercise. I know for me, breaking a sweat, just dancing my living room is exercise. So move your body in whatever way is edifying for yourself. And then lastly, connecting to somebody. This is hard in COVID times, but even more needed. And as humans, we're hardwired to connect. And when we don't get that mirroring from someone who really can hear and hold us, we actually are not well. Um, So I really think connection is that last foundational four um, that I would give as a recipe, just as behavioral things you can do for your own wellness. That doesn't really involve a licensed clinician, but you can take on as your own charge. Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: I definitely don't. Uh, I know you said like sleep is important I always get (laughs) my sleep I do not late I'm not like oh I gotta stay up all night I think I pulled an all-nighter like twice in my life and the second time I did it I was like I'm never doing this again like ever I'm in bed by like 11 o'clock I will close I will not be done with what I'm working on and be like oh well this has to wait till tomorrow and I'll just close my computer
1: amen so many students don't do that Mm.
0: I feel like there's this culture of no sleep team no sleep like grind it out work hard and I'm all for working hard I'm all for like making sure the job gets done but I'm also for getting my sleep and so how does that culture and I kind of guess I know the answer to this but how does that culture of you know the hustle culture almost Mm -hmm. of like you know Mm -hmm. have you know your full-time job have you a you know, side hustle, team no sleep, work hard. How Mm. does that contribute to the lack of wellness Mm. for, you know, our community?
1: Yes, so many ways. I'll talk about the physiological way and then the psychological way. Straight up just physiological, biological, that being on that struggle bus, like depriving yourself of these basic needs is unsustainable. You need sleep, you need food, you need sunlight. So those people in the lab all the time are in the basement coding, working, reading. That is going to break down. You're going to become irritable and less uh, a person you want to be with your relationships. But just physiologically, you're not going to be able to do that for very much long. And then psychologically, it does two things one again you're not the person you want to be in your relationships but even more insidious than that you've already bought in to this ideology that who you are or what your value is is what you can produce mm. that's why you're mm-hmm, let that sit mm-hmm. let that marinate and that's why you're so insatiably working hard like you feel like you can't miss an opportunity can't turn something else late or can't get the a there's it's you who you are so problematically intertwined with what you can produce that there's no happiness there there's no joy and that is a, a nail in the coffin to our wellness it's an insatiable treadmill that's very hard to jump off because we get reinforced for doing it
0: yeah and I I cannot tell you how how much that like mm. hits home for me because I feel like especially with COVID like mm. people are just like oh you're at home you need to make sure you're doing something I'm like No, I'm sleeping and that's good enough. Like, like, Yeah, right. that is something and I I, I feel like, I feel like that culture of like your, your worth is based on what you produce is rooted Mm -hmm. in like capitalism and whiteness and white supremacy.
1: Let's go for it. All right, I say this message for everybody to really detangle who you are from what you do, but I can't stress it enough for black folks. We've already done that, our safety, how we survive has been by being like this this burden literally beast of burden so we've done that it did not serve us and we're through with it we're we're done building the dreams of everybody else our wellness is a number one on our own dream and capitalism and this productism is so intertwined that we really got to shed that if we're to be well yeah
0: yeah we we do because I don't I don't I I don't like that that culture, that hustle culture, which, you know, people might say, really joking, you don't like it, you're in school, you work full time, you have a podcast, but I also rest and when I don't feel like doing stuff. I don't do it like I turn things down because I don't want my worth to be tied to what I'm able to produce and I just I felt that even more strongly during like at the start of the pandemic. because everybody was like oh this is the time for you to grow your business and you need to do this and you need to do that i'm like no i don't or
1: we need to sit with the shock of being in a pandemic right Mm -hmm. right wow Mm -hmm. right i saw it too though everyone was getting confuddled about how much more they can do
0: (laughs) and then at, at one point i had to have like a heart to heart with myself because there was a certain point where i felt like well dang this person's working on that and this person's doing that and I'm just sitting here twiddling my thumbs. So I felt like I wasn't, because I was, you know, equating my worth to my productivity, I felt like I was less than, Um, and I had to like take a step back and like really think critically, like what what is, what's happening here? Like this is rooted in something else. And mm. I'm not, you know, I'm not for the capitalism, the, you know, productism, the, all these isms. I'm like, no, that that's where this stems from. And it's okay if I, if I need to rest today.
1: So did yourself such a huge service. Mm -hmm. And it's, I feel like it can get hard with
0: peers. So how do we, you know, how do we maintain our wellness when we see other people Mm -hmm. like doing certain things and it's like, Oh, well I should be doing that. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. I should be married or I should have kids or I should have started a small business. Like, how do you maintain your wellness when you're, um, you know, keep when when it's easy to compare yourself to your, your peers.
1: Yes, yes. Oh, this one's a hard one, but we're hitting at the heart of it now because comparison is a thief of joy, and it's hard because I do think to some degree reality is co-constructed, and so how we find some meaning, how we even locate ourselves, is through kind of these uh, these juxtapositions to other people right so just staying on the work front this is something i see in my stanford students usually frosh um a lot where they're coming from their senior year they it was easy for them to get by and now everyone's grinding and shining and they're like well do i need to jump on that and a lot of them do jump on that train and what i like to tell them is you know you could jump on that struggle bus and play the oppression olympics you know i got two hours of sleep two papers and three exams I was like, oh. I got, but, 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 you know, people just go back and forth. But what I tell them to try to do is, you know, what, what are you really trying to gain through that behavior, right? What's underneath that? There's always some deeper motivation for some of our problematic behaviors. And sometimes it's respect. A lot of times it's just belonging. I just want to be with everybody else. And there's other ways we can get those things. Once we can identify what we're actually after, we can probably find a very safer, healthier through line to it. And then the last thing I tell them, which I think really resonates with most people, is, you know, we do, especially in our youth, want to be attractive to people. And that's not just physically, but that's like the whole package. And there's nothing more attractive than someone doing what they actually enjoy actually Mm -hmm. so if i'm not you know starting a small business but i'm doing my podcast i'm i'm learning how to roller skate i'm doing something that actually lights me up on the inside that's going to draw people to me and i'm going to be the person around them that i want to be and that's so much more sustainable that's so much more attractive and joy begets more joy people will want to be around you when you're in your your healthy state so all these things are kind of distractions from what we actually want and that's what makes it a tragic situation
0: yeah 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 and i love that i don't think i thought about that in Mm -hmm. terms of like when you're actually happy and doing the things that you want to do not only is that good for your wellness but you you're more like more people will gravitate towards you yes
1: yeah -hmm. Yeah. naturally and the right people too
0: yes Mm -hmm. yes okay so i'm trying to think of what other questions i have for you i feel like we've covered so much Mm -hmm. um good stuff I'm gonna take it back to, I mean, we we talked about this, but I just wanna be more explicit about mm-hmm. it, I guess. Um, and so earlier I talked about, you know, 20% black mm-hmm. folks are 20% more likely to suffer from mental health challenges. Can you dive a little bit deeper at why that may be and some healthy, we talked about this a little bit too, but healthy coping mechanisms mm-hmm. be, for that, you know, for folks, for Black folks in general, but especially as we think about, you know, like, we're more likely to need mental health support.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, I like the nuance of this question, because we are reading uh, reports and uh, articles and even research articles that say, you know, African Americans are, quote, more likely to or, quote, disparately X, Y, Z. And that wording leaves us our brains and just how our language is constructed to conclude that black people are more prone or perhaps faded or it's unavoidable for us to have a particular plight What i really want to underscore and make sure our listeners hear is that the truth is black people are not inherently more vulnerable there are actually systemic and systematic exposures to the ills that cause those different rates of suffering right So let me be concrete. Injustices like poverty, lack of healthcare access, neighborhoods that are food deserts are exposed to environmental hazards, that would impact anyone's mental health. And it's usually black, brown, and indigenous people that are living under those conditions. That's where that 20% is coming from. So we we forget that the individual experience is in response to a systemic situation. Yes this is something I've been calling system-centered language. It's a linguistic call to action that really has us rehumanize people when we're describing how they experience a depra- uh, an oppressive system, right? I think for too long, um, people place blame on the individual and accountability on the individual while system-centered language is trying to put it on the interlocking, intergenerational and very present because we like to say historical too, very present systems of uh, oppression and racism, particularly racism. Okay. -hmm.
0: System-centered language. Yes. Yes, yes. Um, And I think language is key. Language is key in how we think about how we talk about Um, the challenges within, Mm -hmm. you know, the Black community as it relates to mental health and really naming it. And so something you said about like, you know, how it's often historical. No, it's present. Like this is happening now. (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. So (sighs) system-centered language. Okay. So we kind of talked about this a little, but um, I think this will probably be my last question before I ask for any like final thoughts. Uh Um, So we talked about, you know, doing the things that we love. And, um, um, so we talked about doing the things that we love and, um, you know, going to healing spaces. What are some other ways that we can just like maintain our peace, especially Mm -hmm. with everything going on right now? I think it's very critical right now. Um, but what are, what are some ways that, what are some things
1: that you do okay <laughs> gotta walk the walk well um let me talk about joy just a little bit um i think it's important for us to speak truth to ourselves daily look we are living in an anti-black world and that can seep in in very small and subtle ways that even ways that we're not aware of. Um, I used to straighten my hair when I would go on an interview, right? Because I thought that was more palatable and quote unquote professional, right? Because that's, you know, anti Black beauty standards um, and professional standards. So I encourage everyone listening to sit down quietly, hopefully more than once with yourself, and ask yourself, honestly, what brings me joy? What do I like to do? Not just what looks shiny on my resume or what might like, might make someone else sh- sh- like shine up for me, but what do I like to enjoy? Create a list, hopefully a long list, and pull from that list daily. Mm-hmm. Um, so concretely, we talked about the foundational four, but I'd like to add, um, you know, what brings you sense of flow? Some people are familiar with the term flow. If you're, have an athlete background, it's kind of, called being in the zone. It's basically when you're fully immersed and you have a energized focus and you're fully involved in enjoyment with whatever you're doing. Now for our perfectionist li- listeners, that doesn't mean you have to be good at what you're doing, right? You just really enjoy it. So for me, those things are dancing. I haven't like formally danced since, wow, early 20s, mm-hmm. but still dancing. Uh, Coloring with my two-year-old. You can get really mindful when you're coloring. I I shade and do all this stuff, I get really big on it. Running, writing, uh, reading, usually something leisure, not too heavy. Card games, and a good conversation. All those really get me locked into the moment. Think of it as, when do I lose track of time? When do I really could just keep going in things? Those things are the things I really want you to add to your ingredients list of what your happiness is and what your joy is. Thank you, thank you for that. I love that. I, I don't. Do I do any
0: of those things? I'm trying to think. I, I also love to dance. Yes. So I do take like little dance breaks. But I think it, it is important for us to be intentional about what brings us joy. It's different for everyone. It is. It really is. And so to to. Have to think about like these are the things that make me happy and intentionally do them yes. is important. Um, and I think even just the act of thinking about what you like can bring some, you know, some joy. So, because I was getting excited, I was like, oh yeah, like I could do a little dance or write some poetry. Um, one of the things that I do is not necessarily something that brings me joy, but I think that this is something that, well, it does bring me joy, I guess, but it helps me with my mental health. Mm. I just unplug sometimes. Like I'm on social media, I'm like a anti-social media user. Like I use it because I know I should, and you know, um, that's how I can connect with people. But I also think you get inundated with a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. and especially like I'm not on Facebook anymore. I got off Facebook probably in like maybe 2014. Whenever Mike Brown was killed.
1: Yes. Um,
0: cause I think that there's this bad habit of like posting black trauma.
1: Yes. Mm. The,
0: videos, the images. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't really need to see this. Um, yeah. And I think in some ways that does something to us psychologically. Yes. Um, and so that's one of the things that I've been intentional about doing is like not going on social media during certain times or, you know, I don't even have a Facebook anymore cause I just couldn't, um, With Instagram, I can kind of control a little bit better, like what I'm seeing, but I felt like on Facebook, it would just pop up in my thread. And, Mm -hmm. um, but that has really helped me. Mm -hmm. Um, That has really helped me to not, you know, put myself in these situations where I'm gonna read something or see something that triggers me. And I'm also very clear with the people in my life, like, no, I don't want to see this or I'm not engaging in this conversation this is triggering, like, I say those words so that people know, um, because again, I think that sometimes people don't realize, like, how they're putting their burdens on you, like, yeah. they're upset about, you know, what's happening with the election, and they're upset about what's happening with, you know, police getting off um, or not being charged, and so they just dump, and then they walk away feeling better,
1: And you're left holding the bag, especially when they come out as like slightly racist or have some problematic views and then they're your bestie. A lot of the youngsters are having a hard time like, oh, you endorse XYZ and now I know that and can't unknow it. What does that mean for our relationship?
0: Right. It's a lot. It's a lot. So I just wanted to put that out there that um, I think definitely identifying some of the things that make us happy, that give us joy and also doing things whether it's dancing or reading or writing or cooking or running, whatever mm-hmm. that looks like, or just not getting on social media yeah. is, is important too. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mm-hmm. have any last thoughts before we close out? I feel like Jerry Springer, final thoughts. Final thoughts, <laughs> yes.
1: I do because, and I, I'll piggyback it off your thought of, on the social media because we can forget sometimes that we have choice. We have choice and we have to exercise that as a part of our freedom. And it's making me think about what I like to call cognitive consent. It's -hmm. another type of consent that's just as important as sexual consent, where we have to be uh, champions and safeguard what we let into our mind, because Mm -hmm. some things can be poisoning. I think the virility of Black death, there's a scholar who's studying it and it is hurting us. Mm -hmm. So I would, um, as a final thought, really encourage all of us to think about Am I going to uphold my wellness or am I going to uphold other people's opinions of my wellness or opinions of my behavior? Because that's really the hardest thing when it comes to stigma, when it comes to unplugging from social media. It's that feared backlash of lack of belonging or ostracism or retaliation. And your wellness has to be the most important. It's your job and you're the only one that can do it well. You're the CEO of your own wellness and we got to act like it. Yes,
0: we are the CEOs of our own wellness. Mm -hmm.
1: And can you ask your other question again? How are we going to uphold our wellness? How are we going to
0: uphold our wellness? That is a very important question. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that it gets a lot of thought. So yeah, yeah. thank you.
1: No problem. No problem. People think that if they're living their life well, wellness will just come. Mm. That's really a paradigm shift. Like it's an active thing you got to engage with. And you yeah. gotta be in charge. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I
0: appreciate uh-huh. you so much. This was great. This
1: was- I could keep talking to you. This is so needed. Thank you. Yes, we,
0: we might can- do a part two. I would if love that. And now for the My Girlfriend segment. In today's discussion about mental health and wellness, we spent a little bit of time talking about joy. As you think about your own mental health, I encourage you to think seriously about ways to experience joy. Finding joy is not only a way to engage in healthy mental health practices, but for black folks, it really is an act of resistance. Black people are often told, whether it be implicitly or explicitly, that we are not worthy of joy. We should hate our bodies, we should hate our skin, our hair, we should hate ourselves, we should hate each other, we should hate our homeland. Now, obviously that's not true, there's a lot of beauty and power in blackness, which is why so many people are threatened. However, it is important for us to reject those narratives and to find joy. And that is what makes it revolutionary. I know that can be hard to find joy in times of struggle and pain, especially given everything that's happening right now. The election, the loss of black life, the personal challenges that we may be facing that we don't often voice. Despite all of that, you are worthy of happiness and joy and so today's my girlfriend segment is dedicated to all the black women who help us find our joy so our therapists so folks like dr megan who dedicate their practice to help black folks understand and acknowledge our inherent value our doctors who help us understand our bodies and how to take care of ourselves holistically to our women who lead healing spaces, our educators and social workers whose work extends beyond the business hours, women who spread joy through laughter, women who spread joy by modeling what finding joy looks like, to all the black women who lift each other up through healing and love and provide spaces for us to experience wholeness, for us to experience happiness, and for us to experience joy. This segment is dedicated to each and every one of you. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing and continue to find the spaces
1: of joy.